Luke chapter 17, verse 11. I'm going to read this through, and then we'll go back and we'll glean what we can get out of the Word of God. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that be Jesus Christ, he is the Jesus Christ, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria in Galilee. As he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, say, answering said, Where were then, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, unto this one that came back, the one that came back that was cleansed, he turned to him and said, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. I want to preach this morning on where are the nine? Jesus asked the question, where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God. So let's go back up to verse 12 and see what we can glean out of this. Now Jesus Christ, he's walking along, he's going through Samaria, and he's going through Galilee. And uh, these are half Jews and half Gentiles. So they're, to a Jew, that's an all-Gentile. That's a dog. They would call them dogs. And they didn't have much to do with them. And they were uh, considered half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. So God, uh, they already didn't have a good reputation. But along the way, in verse 12, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now, to understand leprosy, when a man got leprosy, or a woman in that time, it, leprosy is that disease that you just, your skin literally rots off, and your body parts are rotting off of your body. When a man or a woman got leprosy, they were outcast. They were put to the side. They were, they were run away, and they had to go to a certain place. And, and if anybody came towards them that, were, that was clean, that wasn't a leper also, they had to put their hand over their mouth and say, unclean, unclean. They had to yell out, get away from me, I'm, I'm, I'm unclean. And that was leprosy. That's why it says there that they stood, which stood afar off. Now, if you study your Bible, you'll know that leprosy is a great type of sin in the Bible. So everybody has sin in their life. Everybody has leprosy, spiritual leprosy that rots you away. And that's what we know the wages of sin is death. That's a leprosy. Sin is leprosy. Leprosy is sin. So you have these lepers, the full of leprosy, and they're saying, stay away, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And they had to stand afar off. Brothers and sisters, sin can separate you afar off. Sin can separate you afar off. Sin can make you afar off from your family. Sin can separate you afar off from your family and your loved ones. We've all did sin, and some of us have done such rotten sins that it separated us off from family members, from loved ones, that our own family, our own loved ones don't want to have anything else to do with us. And that is a shame, but it's true. It's true. I know a lot of y'all in here don't live a life like that, but there's some of us in here, and I'm putting myself in that bunch that have did some sin in our life that really so rotten that our loved ones, we're, I'm amazed that some of my loved ones still have something to do with me, and some of them really just look at me differently and have, out, have, have cast me to the side, and I'm basically a black sheep of the family. And I, You know, I know I deserve it, and I'm so thankful that the Lord God in Jesus Christ, He doesn't treat me that way. He allows me back in. Now sin, sin can also make you afar off, can make you afar off from happiness. 
Sin can make you afar off from happiness. Now, the Bible says, and the world will tell you, oh, there's, I'm having a lot of happiness. I'm having a lot of joy as they're living in sin, as they're rotten, as they're wallowing around like a pig, pig in the mud. But the Bible tells us, yes, there's pleasure in sin for a season. It might be a, a, a I don't know how long a season is. To, everybody's got a different season. But you can get in sin and you can think you're having pleasure, but it's only going to be for a season. And then there's a payday someday. And then, as they, like they say, the chickens come home to roost. Uh, there's always pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season, then it ends. And that sin can separate you off from happiness. I've never found true happiness. I never found true, true lasting joy until I became a Christian in, inside of Jesus Christ. Until I started serving Jesus Christ, I never found that joy. I found that joy and that happiness when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But then when I, as a Christian, we were studying this this morning in Sunday school, as a Christian, as I started growing in the Lord and became a babe and then a child, and I tried to become an adult in the Lord Jesus Christ, I've never found such happiness enjoy my life than to walk and to live with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in a personal relationship. Now sin will separate me from that. And sin will. Sin also, sin also the third thing I want to show you about being stood afar off is that sin will also separate you, most definitely will separate you from your God. Amen. Sin separates you from God. There's no doubt about it. Sin, sin might separate you from the family. Sin might might take away some of your happiness. But I'm here to tell you that sin most definitely has separated you from God. Amen. You are a sinner and God is holy and you just don't mix. You as a sinner and God in all His holiness just don't mix. You're separated. You were separated from God. Your sin down here and all your filthiness and rottenness and your leprosy, it can't come close to God. And God, when all His holiness and righteousness and purity, He can't come close to you. But I got good news for you. There was a man named Jesus Christ. And He shed His precious blood on the cross of Calvary. And He took one bloody hand and He grabbed God. And He took His other bloody hand and He grabbed you. And He made it one-ment with you. Amen. With you and God. See, you were at two-ment. You were at two-ment. And Jesus Christ at, on the cross, He made atonement at one month. He said, here's God, here's man, and here you are right there. Amen. Now He's your Father, and now He's your Son. And that all comes through the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ ye who sometimes were afar off, that's me and you, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's that blood of Jesus Christ that draws us near. Now, I heard this old scholar, and I couldn't believe it. I, I just about, my ears curled when I heard this old scholar say it was the death of Christ. It didn't have anything to do with his blood. He just needed to die. It didn't have anything to do with his blood. That's a man that's not reading his Bible. It's all about the blood of Jesus Christ. He, it, didn't, it wasn't that he died. It's that he bled when he died. He didn't get stoned to death. He was crucified. They, they put, he poured all his blood out on the cross. So much of his blood was poured out, the, the, the Roman soldier took that spear and thrust it in the side, and water and blood came out. He poured it all out for you. He had to have a bloody hand to touch God. He had to have a bloody hand to touch you to put y'all two together. 
It's got to be the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And these lepers who are standing afar off, they're crying out to Jesus Christ in verse 13. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They had the right passion. In verse 13, they lifted up their voices. They had the right passion. They truly believed that the one they were calling up to could do something for them. Notice they didn't just mumble it and say, Jesus, oh, 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 he just went off and shrugged their shoulders. And No, they knew that when Jesus came by, that was the one. They knew he's the one that can help us. He's the one I need to call out to. And it says they didn't just call out in a quiet voice. They didn't just mumble it. It said they cried out with a loud voice. Hey, Jesus, over here. Jesus. Guys, they had the, they had the right passion. And they believed he could help them. When you come to Jesus Christ and you need a Savior in your life, you need to be cleansed of your sin, you need to come to Jesus Christ knowing that He died for your sins and knowing that He can cleanse you. Amen. you got to know that. you got to come to Him. It's not just something you do like, well, I'll just do this little prayer and see what happens. No, you say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm rotten, but Lord, I know you're the one. I'm not praying to Muhammad. I'm not praying to Buddha. I'm not praying to my priest. I'm not praying to my grandmother, my granddad. Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you. You can do it. Will you please do it? Amen. And he will do it. Amen. And they lifted up their voices. They had the right passion and said, Jesus, they had the right person. <laughs> they had the right person. Jesus, Jesus. Acts chapter 4 Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the precious name of Jesus Christ. They had the right person when they called out to Jesus. They had the right position. They had the right passion, lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, they had the right person. And it said, Master, they had the right position. Now what do I mean by that, having the right position? They're calling this man Master. Wrap your mind around that. When you call somebody master, you're saying, I'm your servant. I'm your slave. You're my master. Amen. There's nobody in this room I can imagine would ever say that to another human being. Unless you were forced to do that. Unless you were kidnapped and put into slavery, you would never call somebody else master. They, in their humility, said, Master. Amen. Master. That shows real humility, real humility to call somebody master. You're humbling yourself down. You're calling him your master and you're saying, I'll be your servant. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're coming to Jesus Christ as a sinner and you know he's your Lord, my Lord and Savior. And what you're saying when you call him your Lord, you're saying, you're my Lord and I'm your servant. And what you say I'll do and where you say to go, that's where I'll go. It's a humbling it's a humbling down. It's a right position. They had the right person. They had the right position. And they had the right master. They had the right master there. Now, when they called him master, I started kind of meditating on that. And I thought, master, master. You know, there's another person that used the word master in the Bible called Jesus master. That was Judas. And how many people have come to Jesus Christ and given him the deceitful kiss and kissed Jesus like Judas did? Because when Jesus 
was kissed by Judas when he was betrayed, Judas came up and said, Master, and then reached over and kissed him with the kiss of deceit. How many people who think they're Christians have given Jesus the, the kiss of deceit? Who've never really put their trust in Jesus Christ. It's just a game to them. It's just something. He's not even really alive. It's all just fairy tale. They don't really care about the Bible. It's just something to my mom and my grandmother. They were Christians and I just, that's the way I was raised. They don't even know why they're Christians. They've never given Jesus Christ their life. They never really have called Jesus Christ master. They've never in their heart humbled themselves down and said, you're master and I'm a servant, I'm a slave, do what you want to do. One of the most beautiful things that happens in the Bible is when Jesus Christ meets the woman and she wants her daughter healed and, Jesus, and she keeps yelling at Jesus and yelling at Jesus. And if you study about that story, she more than likely was a black woman. But she kept hollering at Jesus, and he was ignoring her. And the disciples said, Lord, don't you know she's driving us crazy? Do something for her. And he goes, it's not, it's not fit to give the, the food that's for the children and cast it to the dogs. He basically was calling her a dog. And she kept on anyway. She kept on and on. And finally he said, it's not right for me to give the children's meat to the dogs. To her face. He calls her a dog to her face. You know what that woman does? She doesn't get mad. She doesn't run off. She says, Lord, but even the dogs, they, they take the crumbs that come off their master's table. Mm. She said, Lord, I might be a dog, but I'm your dog. Master. See, you got to get down like a leopard. You gotta get down. You gotta, you gotta humble yourself down. You gotta realize I'm nothing but a dog. And he's Lord God Almighty. Amen. And I don't deserve nothing. And he's the master. Look, he's he's the master of creator. He's the master healer. He's the master of wisdom. He's the master of knowledge. He's the master communicator. You know, they said of Jesus Christ, they went to send him to arrest Jesus Christ, and the, the guards went to Jesus Christ, and the guards came back, and the priest said, why didn't you arrest him? And what did those guards say to the, to the priest? He said, never a man spake like this man. They couldn't arrest him. He's the master communicator. He's the master of sacrifice. Nobody's mastered sacrifice like our Lord and Savior. My friends, uh, my brothers and sisters, he is the master of love. Amen. He's got the master, mastery of love. And I hope this morning that he's like he is to me. He's the master of your heart. Amen. He's the master. He deserves to be called master. They said they, they, they did the right, they had the right passion. They had the right person. They had the right position. And lastly, it says they have mercy on us. They had the right plea. They had the right Please have mercy on us. See, it's not a plea of merit. It's the right plea. It's not a plea of merit. It's a plea of mercy. What's a plea of merit? A plea of merit would be you turning and saying, you know, give me what I deserve. I, I deserve to be healed. I don't deserve to be in this position. I don't deserve to be a leper. That's not how they cry. They said, oh, Lord Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It's a plea of mercy. It's not a plea of mercy. Merit. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's only by the mercy of God we're saved this morning. It's only by the mercy of God and the grace of God He gives us a cleansing. He heals us and cleanses us and washes us from all our sins. It's only by His mercy, not because any of us deserve it. It's because He's just that good. 
<laughs> and I thank the Lord for that. Sometimes I'm in my prayer and I get in my prayer and I start praying and I say, Lord, just thank you for being just good. I, I'm not good. And I've been around this world, I don't see a lot of good people. But man, when you get around somebody like the Lord, that just he's just good. He just does good things, man. He's just really, really good. They had the right, they had the right passion, they had the right person, they had the right position, and most assuredly they had the right plea. Verse 14, and when he saw them, Jesus saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. I love it. I love it. You notice what happened there? What happened there is that they obeyed the instructions of Jesus Christ. Because his instructions were, verse 14, go show. Go show. Now, they were cleansed before they went. They were cleansed as they went. They didn't actually get to the priest. They were going towards the priest, and all of a sudden they looked down and like, hey, hey man, I'm cleansed. And they're like, hey, look. And they all started looking at each other. Hey, you're cleansed, man. Look at you. You're, you're white as snow. Look at that. Look, you don't have that leprosy on you. Look at that. You're cleansed up. You're healed. They started noticing it. But they had to obey the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There was an obey that needed to take place. Now, then it was to go. Back then it was, Jesus' commandment was go. Now, to any lost sinner, to any man that's full of leprosy, the commandment is, come. Amen. Yeah, come on. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. John 7, 37, Jesus Christ said in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's our Lord and Savior. He's, he's, he's calling now. He's not telling a leper to go. He's telling a leper, come on. You got that heavy burden of sin. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Are you thirsty? Come on. I got it right here. Come on. In Isaiah 1.18, the Lord God Jehovah says, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Lord God says, come on now. Come on now, let's reason together. Come on, I know you're thirsty. Come on, let's get a drink of this. Come on, come on. I know you're heavy burden. I know you can't take life anymore. Come on unto me, to Jesus Christ. In Revelation twenty two seventeen, some of the most beautiful scripture in the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Amen. Oh, it's a come on. It's a come on message now. To the lepers it was go show, and to us it's come on now, come. Everybody's saying come. I'm, saying as a, I'm not saying this as a preacher. I'm not saying this as a pastor. I'm saying this as a believer in Jesus Christ. Come on. Come on, man. You, he's the right one. Come on. Like the woman at the well, when she met Jesus at the well, He showed her that she was a sinner. He showed her that He needed living waters. And the Bible says she ran from the well and she ran to her friends and she ran home and she said, Is not this the Messiah? Come on. 
Let's go see him. I'm saying this to you as a friend. I'm saying this to you as somebody who's tasted the living waters. Come on to Jesus Christ. Come on. I know you're a leper. I know you're tired of this world. Come on. He's worth everything. Come on. Jump over your friends. Jump over science. Jump over all the hypocrites. Jump over all those people who are trying to keep you in hell. Jump over them. Just jump over them and come on. Leave them far behind. Jump over all your sins. Jump over all your doubts. And come on. Jesus Christ is waiting for you. He says, come on. Let me put my bloody hand in your hand. And I'll put my bloody hand in God's. And I'll put y'all two together. And He'll be your Father. Come on. I love this one. Oh, I love this verse here. In John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And look what Jesus Christ says here. In John 6, 37, he says, And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. What an assurance. What an assurance. Verse 14, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he was, only one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God. Maybe you've never been in this church before. I don't know. A lot, a lot, I, see, I recognize a lot of your faces. But the point is, is if you don't like shouting and you don't like glorifying God, you're going to feel really, really strange up in heaven. Because it's going to be loud up there. And there's going to be lots of singing up there. And there's going to be lots of glorifying Jesus Christ up there. When I, that dear sister got up here and started singing a song about Jesus Christ, it took everything in me not to jump up and just start doing a jig. Just, ooh, Jesus. Ooh, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, man, when that Holy Spirit starts moving on you, man, and you start feeling about Jesus Christ, and you start thinking, oh, that's my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like, it's like your favorite team's winning the Super Bowl. You want to just jump up and start clapping. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, glorify God. And that's what happened with this leper. He's going along, he's cleansed, and he knows who cleansed him. Amen. Yeah, he knows. He knows. He doesn't say, well, I guess I'll go home and start reading some books on philosophy. No, he goes, where's Jesus? Oh, glory, glory. It says he turned around and with a loud voice glorified God. Amen. Boy, there's going to be some shouting. There's going to be some singing up in glory. You know why? Because a lot of us don't think we should deserve, deserve to be up there. We're going to get up there and we're going to say, you know, I made it. Yeah. I, I, I don't deserve to be here. There's my wife and there's my grandmother and there's my granddad. There's my mom and there's my dad. There's my brother and there's my sister. We're going to be glorified Jesus Christ. And we're going to be just in wonder that He would allow us up into heaven. Knowing we're a rotten sinner and all that blood atonement, all that blood He shed will be so precious to us. We think if it wasn't for that precious blood, I would be burning in a devil's hell and I deserve it. There's going to be lots of shouting. There's going to be lots of glorifying our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I can't wait. Brother Ricky Dodd sitting at that nursing home, sitting in that wheelchair, he can't hardly move around. And poor old Ricky Dodd, every time I see him, he's like, I can't wait, Brother Keegan. I can't wait to get to heaven and sing at Hallelujah Square. Amen. He believes it. He believes that one day he's going to be glorifying Jesus Christ on Hallelujah Square. You know, I'm just dumb enough to believe it too. <laughs> and, you know, before he had his, you know, he's laying in that wheelchair because he had an accident back in the 70s. 
40 odd years he's been laying in that wheelchair. And he's always wanted to glorify Jesus Christ since then. And he told me, he said, I think because that accident got me closer to God. And his mom told me before she passed away that he could had one of the most beautiful tenor voices. And when Brother Lester Roloff was around, Brother Lester Roloff always said, where's that preacher's boy? Bring that preacher's kid up here. I want him to sing for me. They said he had one of the most beautiful voices now. And it's long gone when he had that accident. But it's going to come back up in heaven. And I can't wait to hear his voice, that high tenor voice as he's singing and praising Jesus Christ. I can't wait, man. I can't wait. Verse 16 and Look what this guy does. This leper, he fell down on his face at his feet. Salvation will humble you. Salvation will humble you, brother and sister. He fell down on his feet. Salvation will humble you. But notice what else he did. Giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Salvation will humble you. Salvation will make you thankful. Mm-hmm. I got to hollering so much for Jesus Christ, I threw my voice out. And I praise God for that. Amen. I'm glad that I'm not at some Super Bowl or up in a football game screaming and hollering and throwing my voice out for the world. I'd rather throw it out for Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 17, And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Good question. They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. So why is this church not full of people praising God? Amen. we got a pretty decent crowd here. I mean, we could have a lot bigger crowd, but I'd like it to be able to put out the chairs. <clears throat> I'd like to have chairs put out. Amen. There's so many people. When's the last time you've been at a church where it's so full you have to put the chairs out? been a long time, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. It should not be that way. Where are the other nine? There were nine others that got healed. Where are they? They're long gone. Uh, The Bible doesn't say where they went. The Bible doesn't say if they went home or went back to living in sin. The Bible doesn't say where they went. But I got a question for you. Where are they? Why are they not praising God? I've run into those other nine. I have. I've run into those other nine in my walk in the, in the Lord. I run into them all the time. Poor old brother Gary Fields, he's running into them too. I don't need to be in church. I don't need, I praise God my own way. I don't need to be right. Where are they at? Where are they at? I can hear those nine. I've heard them over and over again say, I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be in church to praise God. So I'm going to give you a little answer to that. I'm going to answer those nine. I'm going to give you three answers to that. And I hear it so much, I'm sick of it. Up to here. I don't need to be in church to praise God. I, I praise God on my own way. It's funny, those people, those people say that, I never see them praising God. I never see them talking about the Lord. I never see them reading their Bible. But they're sure are quick to tell me that they don't need to be in church. Now let me start off by saying this. and I, This is very, very important, so listen up. When I say church, I don't mean a building. I don't mean a building, and I don't mean a denomination. When I say church, what I mean is, is I mean a fellowship of believers who are gathering together on a regular basis to praise Amen. God. Amen. Now, that sometimes happens at a house. 
Sometimes it happens under an oak tree. Sometimes it happens under a brush harbor. But most of the time, it happens in a church. You know why it happens in the church? Because it's air-conditioned or it's heated and we try to have nice pews and we try to have, air, we try to have things that are nice, have the hymnals all laid out, try to have a PA system so everybody can hear. We try to do it at church because it tends to be better that way. Amen. But this doesn't necessarily have to be in a church. I'm talking about a fellowship of believers that gather together on a regular basis to praise and to worship God. That's what I mean by church. So... Why aren't more people in church? Why aren't people getting away? Let me give you an answer of what they need to know. When they say to you, I don't need to be in church to praise God. First thing I want to say to you is the scripture says you need to be. Amen. <laughs> it's enough, that's enough for me personally, but I know that's not enough for the world we live in today. You tell people what the, what the Bible says on homosexuality or what the Bible says on fornication or what the Bible says on like sex outside of marriage, which is fornication, or what the Bible says on, on stealing or on finances. When you tell, show people what the Bible says on forgiveness, they just look at you like a, like a, a, a frog looking on a, sitting on a lump or a log, and they don't care what you're talking about. And they literally they're just saying, well, I don't care. So what? So what the Bible you know, being Brother Osborne, we're at uh, poor Ronnie Hoggett's table. We got into this conversation about an hour long, just rah, 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 like a bunch of dogs chewing on a bone. When you're a preacher, you get tired of this stuff. You know, the Bible says, and I'm, I'll read this to you. The Bible says, get into church. For where Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There's a fellowship. Jesus Christ talked to the book of Matthew about when you become a church, things you should do in the church. When I say church, I don't mean the whole body of Christ. That There's a doctrinal teaching, which is true, that the body of Christ is the church. I'm talking about individual churches, plural, of believers. The Bible says we need to get together. And y'all know the verse, but I'll quote it to you anyway. Hebrews 10, 25, real plain. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The world we're living in should make more people come to church. <clears throat> they look on it and they'll say, I don't like the way the Democrats are. I don't like the way the left wing is. I don't like the way these social justice warriors act, and I don't like the way the world's coming to. Then what are you doing still living in the world and not getting into the church? <laughs> We're not acting that way. Why are you out there? You don't like it? No, I don't like it. You're, they're stupid, aren't they? Yeah, they're ungodly. Yeah, then what are you doing still out there? Why don't you come in here to a fellowship of believers? I'm not talking about to this church, to any church. Just get you a church. Get you a good Bible-believing church and get in there. The Bible says to do it. Secondly, and this one is, to me, this is important. Because you've got to study your Bible to understand it, but it's there. Secondly, I would say to you, that says I don't need to be in church. You say, you te you're telling me that Jesus is wrong. You're telling me that Jesus was wrong. And what I mean by that is, if you turn to the book of Revelation, and you study the book of Revelation, John is on the Isle of Patmos, and here comes Jesus in all His glory, and He comes to John, and John sees Him. And then as you go through Revelation 1, 2, 3, go up to 4, he's starting to write this letter and he tells John, sit down, write this letter and send it to these seven churches. 
Not the whole body of Christ as believers as a church, but churches, plural. In other words, ecclesia. It's people that are gathered together to worship God in seven different places. Jesus says, write a letter and send it to them. Those seven in the church, those seven churches. So my point to you is, Jesus Christ didn't call John and say, hey, John, write this out. This is going to be called, we're going to call it the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to write this out, and I want you to send it to everybody, every believer that's sitting at home on a couch. That's not what your Lord and Savior said. Amen. He didn't say that. What did he say? He said, send it to the churches. Amen. To the people that are in churches. So I'm here to tell you, if you don't think you need to be in church, if you weren't in church, you would have missed that letter of the book of Revelation. Amen. You'd have been at home, and you'd be sitting on the couch saying, I don't need to go to church. And all the other believers were in the church just going, oh, praise God, look at this. There's going to be a time of tribulation. There's heaven and there's streets of gold. They were getting it. They were getting the streets of gold. You know without the book of Revelation, you don't see Satan get his? Satan gets his in the book of Revelation. So those people sitting in those churches, when they get that letter read, they go, oh yeah, Satan gets it. Amen. And he gets it in hell. And they're starting to get this great revelation from Jesus Christ, but it was to the churches. To seven of them. Listen to me, brother and sister. If you weren't in church, you weren't getting the letter. Jesus said, send it to the churches. He didn't say, send it to that guy that's sitting at home on the couch. So finally, I want to say this. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? They say, the nine say, I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be worshiping God. I can worship God in my own way. I can go out here and fish and go, go fishing on the lake and worship God better than you can. Oh, give me a break, man. Ah. You're worshiping God with your beer in your hand. Yeah, but you're praying every time you throw out that, that lure. You know, kid your mama. Don't kid me. Don't. You can fool me. You think you're fooling me. You're not. You're only fooling yourself, and you're for sure not fooling God. Amen. He wants you to get together and praise Him and worship Him and, and listen to preaching and be learned and learn the Word of God so you can grow. You're not growing casting a lure out there on the lake on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. You're not growing in the Lord. You're not. And I know I'm being really strong about this because it's the truth. And I'm getting tired of people trying to tell me, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I, I can worship God. Yeah, and every Christian, and now listen to me, it's going to hurt some people's feelings. Every Christian that I run into that doesn't go to church, that doesn't have anything to do with churches, they're not very good Christians. Amen. They don't live a very good Christian life. Not, not 90% of the time, 100% of the time. The only exception to this is if they can't come to church. And what I mean by that is if they're in a nursing home and they're bedridden, there's something that's keeping them from getting together with other believers in Jesus Christ. But you know what I know about those? When I go into the nursing home to have a service and to sing praises to God, they get up and they come on in there. Amen. They want to be a part of a fellowship of believers. You know what they tell me when I'm leaving? When are you coming back? Are you coming back? They want church. Amen. And now I'll tell you what's going to happen is, and it's going to happen, it's happening in America already. There's going to come a time where Satan's going to be let loose by God and Satan's going to come in and he's going to shut these churches down. And he's going to take this Bible and he's going to start burning. And we're going to get run out of here. And there's going to be people up in the mountains. There's going to be Christians out everywhere. And there's going to be some Christians sitting in a den and they're going to say, I wish I'd have been going to church. I remember a time where you could go to church. And they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it. 
And that time's going to be long gone. You're going to miss it. So the last thing I want to say in closing, this is the third one, is a personal testimony. And this is the most powerful one. Because I know you're not going to listen to what the Bible says. You're not going to care what Jesus was doing in the book of Revelation. I know, I know you. If you knew your Bible well enough, you'd already be in church. But let me, let me just say this. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to ruffle any feathers. But let me just say it this way. You gave me your personal testimony, which is, I don't need church. I can worship God over the lake when I'm fishing or mowing. I have my own way of worshiping God and blah, blah, blah. You have your, you have your little personal testimony, which I think is stupid. But I have a personal testimony too. And it has nothing to do with this Bible. I'm just, let's just push the Bible over here since you really don't care about the Bible anyway. I'll just push it over here. Let me give you a personal testimony. I cannot live without church. That's my personal testimony. I love church. Every time the doors are open, I want to be up there. I want to be around believers. I want to be around Christians. I want to praise, praise God. I want to sing praises to Him. I want to hear good preaching. I want to do a good Bible study. I want to, be, I want to have the book open. I want to learn as much as I can about Jesus Christ. I want to learn as much as I can about God the Father. I love church. And that's my personal testimony. Now, you have your testimony that you hate church. And you have your testimony you don't need it. But my testimony is simply this. I love it. I need it. And there's, I've never been in any other place, now listen to me, I've never been in any other place where I felt the Holy Spirit move like when I've been in church. Man, you get into church, you get other believers, Jesus Christ said, I'll be in the midst of them, remember? And boy, they, we start singing about Jesus Christ, and boy, that Holy Spirit starts moving around, and oh man, the hair on the back of my neck starts standing up, and man, here we go. I love it. And you can go to meet God and be at the judgment seat of Christ and you can answer to Jesus Christ why you didn't go to church, why you didn't fellowship, why you... You have your answers, you have your, your, your debate, you can debate with Jesus Christ. And maybe he'll let you go, maybe he'll say, you're right, come on in. But I'm going to tell you something, personally, I love it. <laughs> and I think you're missing out. I really do, I think you're missing out on a really, really good thing, just getting up, getting some clothes on and coming into church. It's a wonderful thing just to go to church. Where are the nine? I have no idea. But I know where the one is. He's right here. <laughs> He's right here. And I'm at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that uh, we're unworthy to be called by your name. We're unworthy to be calling you Father. But we want to thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord. We want to thank you. It's a message of come. Come on. Lord, I want to thank you for calling us, for wooing us through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to thank you for the men and women through the ages that have opened up a Bible and led people to Jesus Christ and showed them the living waters. And Father, I just want to thank you, Father God, that uh, you allow us to come in and worship you. Lord, thank you for this church. And Lord, thank you for all the churches all over the world that are preaching Jesus Christ, that are gathering together in churches and buildings, Lord, at home and living rooms, Lord, in basements. And Lord, there's, some of them are hiding out. Some of them are doing it under trees, Lord, down in the villages, up, up in the mountains, Father. I thank you for these believers, Lord, that want to fellowship together, Lord. And I just pray this morning, move, Lord God. Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit moves and stirs us up, Lord. Rustle the, the leaves in the tree, Lord God. Get us excited for you, Father. But Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the nine that are out there, Lord, living in sin or whatever they might be doing, Lord God. Father, I just pray you go out, find them, bring them in. 
Lord, help. let them be a part of this, Lord God. We want, we want a fellowship, Lord. We want other believers. We want to praise. We want, some, we want people singing. We want people that are teaching, Lord, people that are reading their Bible, Father. We want to encourage people, Lord God. Take those nine, Lord God. Seek them out, Father, and bring them into your fold, Lord. We just thank you. Thank you, Father God, that it's a simple message. It's a simple message, Lord. It's not hard. We should just be fellowshipping and living close to you. Thank you so much. And if there's somebody... I need the sign of my voice, Lord, that can't think of a time that they've took Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, as I give this invitation, they'll come on down the aisle and they'll get saved. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers, have an invitation quickly. Well, I'm thankful I'm in this church this morning. I'm thankful to have a church to go to. And I'm thankful that there's a Bible-believing church that's, that's so close that we can get together. That's a real blessing. Amen. Amen. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. 
And in verse 13, he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.